Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. In this tenth part of a series, Dorje Lopan Dr. Hanlai teaches about the songs of Milarepa, the 11th century Tibetan saint who reached the ultimate state of awakening. The presentation of these profound songs is integrated with teachings on the Guru Yoga of Milarepa Sadhana, in order to introduce a more contemplative and experience-based approach to practicing this liturgy. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, so last weekend, uh, we covered the first three songs called the Six Illusions, the Song of Nine Meanings, and the Song of Seven Truths. Uh, today we will look at the seven inner and outer arisings. But uh, before we do that, um, let's first look at, again, review uh, the second song called the Six Illusions as Metaphors of Impermanence. So let us read this uh, together. Look there at all the objects appearing outside, fleeting visions like last night's dream. When you recall they are dreamlike, these delusions make your mind uneasy. Have you cut delusion at the root, Rechongpa? When I reflect on this, sublime dharma comes to mind. When looking inward at your body, transitory like a city of Gandharvas, its rising and falling make your mind uneasy. Have you cut through birth and death, Rechungpa? When I reflect on this, sublime dharma comes to mind. When looking inward at the perceiving mind, fugitive like a bird in the crest of a tree, so restless it makes your mind uneasy. Have you taken a hold of mind's secure ground, Rechungpa? When I reflect on this, sublime dharma comes to mind. When looking inward at the breath moving inside, it is impermanent like mist in the air. The fading and passing of mist makes your mind uneasy. Have you seen movement vanish on its own, Rechungpa? When I reflect on this, sublime dharma comes to mind. When looking at these friends assembled here, they are transient like crowds at a fair. Once gathered, they are sure to part, making your mind uneasy. Have you set relations on a higher level, Rechungpa? When we reflect on this, sublime dharma comes to mind. When looking at the wealth collected here, evanescent like honey of the bees, someone else enjoying your things makes your mind uneasy. Have you opened the treasure of mind itself, Rechungpa? When I reflect on this, sublime dharma comes to mind. So, uh, Milarepa says, uh, meditation on uh, death is the king of all meditations. So, if you are not uh, familiar with the Buddha Dharma, Buddha's teachings, it might sound really morbid that meditating on death is the king of all meditations. You know, these days we think, you know, meditation uh, helps you to relax, uh, helps you to... uh, be less stressful, helps you to be happier and healthier. And so if you only know meditation or spiritual practice uh, with those, those goals in mind, then it will probably come as a shock, uh, this thing that Milarepa said, that to meditate on death is the king of all meditations. Of course, Milarepa wasn't talking to us necessarily. 
for sure he's not talking to uh, those of us who um, kind of take certain things from the Dharma uh, basically to just enhance life as we know it, death as we know it, and everything in between as we know it. Um, can that be done? Probably. Can that produce um, kind of measurable results? Apparently, uh, they're doing all kinds of controlled scientific studies to see the benefit of um, certain meditation mindfulness techniques. Uh, so, from that perspective, of course, um, it's fine. And in fact, it's good if it can bring some kind of relief, some kind of happiness to people who are suffering. Uh, so that's one level of uh, relating to uh, aspects of what the Buddha taught. Uh, but if we are relating to um, the Buddhist teachings as people who have taken refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, so then uh, we need to have a different understanding of the role of meditation. Uh, the role of meditation is to uh, stir samsara uh, to its depths. It means to stir it up so that we see how messy it is. Because in part, it's because we're not yet convinced of how messy it is then we still put most of our hopes into it. Uh, now this is not quite, right? this is not, I, I always emphasize this, especially since you know, I live in a community that I think, uh, thank goodness, cares about these things. Uh, this, this is not to be applied. Yeah? It's bad, I say it's bad buddhology, just as bad theology. To say, oh, you know, seeing how messy samsara is and not putting our hopes in samsara, uh, then some people think this is to be interpreted as uh, um, who cares about the environment? You know, it's all going to hell in any case. Uh, who cares about social justice? You know, samsara is fundamentally unjust, da da da, all of that. That's bad <laughs> Buddhology. In the same way that I think. Uh, I would say, my bias, it, it's bad theology to say, you know, God is in charge, why do we need to worry? You know, the environment, it doesn't matter. A new kingdom of heaven and earth uh, is going to come. Uh, I think that's bad theology, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so whether it's Buddha's teachings or Jesus's teachings, um, we could, um, if we're not careful, uh, you know, we could distort them. So here, uh, the idea of not invest, uh, not, not putting our hopes in samsara, uh, it's not the equivalent of saying, don't put our hopes in this world. But don't put our hopes in our confused way of relating to the world. Because samsara is not a place. Then it's opposite nirvana. It's also not a place. It's not a location. Samsara and nirvana are states of being. So as long as we are still existing in a confused way, then we are in samsara. When free from that confusion, we are in nirvana. So, in a, a very important, um, a very important uh, couple of lines, very pithy, but very important uh, text called uh, the Jewel Ornament uh, of Liberation, uh, which is said to have been composed by one of the 
uh, chief uh, disciples, uh, Gampopa, mm. it says uh, very clearly uh, what samsara and what nirvana is uh, in the introduction to the jewel ornament of liberation. So let me read it for you. It says, In general, all phenomena, and you can translate phenomena as experience. Phenomena would be describing things as objects. On the objective end of experience, we say phenomena. On the subjective end, if you look at it more from the subjective end, from the end of you know uh, the perceiver, then you could say all experiences. So whether experience or phenomena, it's interchangeable, right? In this context, so in general, Gampopa says all phenomena, all experiences are included in the two categories of samsara and nirvana, meaning they're either samsara or they're nirvana. Then he goes, that which is called samsara is empty by nature. Uh, meaning, it doesn't have intrinsic, it doesn't have ultimate uh, status. Why? Because it is merely confused projection. What is samsara? Samsara is simply confused projections. Samsara is what we experience when we project in a confused way. Then he goes on to say, its defining characteristic is that it manifests as suffering. How do we know it's confusion? Because the end result of that is suffering then we know it's confusion. Then he goes on to say, that which is called nirvana is also empty by nature. Even nirvana isn't a self-existing entity. Because on this end of confusion, when we talk about one thing, we necessarily need the other thing. It's it's, you know, kind of pair. It's twin uh, that produced it. So nirvana is also empty by nature. But, here's what's important. But all the confused projections are exhausted and dissipated. Meaning, how do we get to nirvana? It's when our confused projections have exhausted themselves and is now dissipated like clouds disappearing into the sky and its defining characteristic is freedom from all suffering interestingly he didn't say happiness <laughs> because happiness is sort of kind of hard to say what it is but we all get it what is freedom from suffering So both samsara and nirvana are not places that we're born into, but states of being that we experience. And therefore, when we say, if we take refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha, then at that point on, our relationship with samsara needs to change. And the first step in that change is to see clearly the unreliable nature and the ridiculousness of counting on confused projections to work out. <laughs> confused projections would never work out. So as long as we're confused, no matter how pretty the projection, it's mistaken so don't rely on that don't count on that 
So often when we encounter difficulties, when we encounter situations, conditions that we don't like, because we did not expect, we were surprised by it, we have things pulled from underneath our feet, then we are disoriented, we're shocked, surprised, all of that. I know this is not fashionable to say, because it sounds like, ooh, some sort of Buddhist pride, but it's okay if we can use the pride in a skillful way. Which a friend recently, perhaps because, yeah, she only visited and not so much part of this culture, this country, and so able to see, to have some clarity. And so, you know, she said, she, she was talking about how she was talking with someone else. And uh, these other people were in a very kind of down mood and then she said but you know we are Buddhist you know we have taken refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha so we should not mop around like other people other people can't help it this is what our training is about this is where we have to bring out all the tools that we've been collecting and not just say, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. Yeah, well, if it is so hard in the first place, don't even collect the tools. What, what were you collecting the tools for? If ultimately when it's time to use those tools, we just say, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, she said, you have to take some pride and say, you know, I have taken refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha. And so I should not mope around like other people are. Yeah? Not in the sense of like, you know, like looking down on others, but at least pull ourselves up and say, now time to get to work. <laughs> yeah, what do we have to change? What do we have to protest? What do we have to organize? Get to work. Yeah? Don't mope around. <laughs> oh, poor me, poor this, poor that. <laughs> So I thought, when, when she reported to me what she said, I thought, yeah, that is so true, you know. We sometimes shy away because we Buddhists like to talk about how we are all the same, we are all equal, we are all one. Uh, but then we forget, you know, in some ways, we are asked to stand apart. Uh, just as, you know, Christians that follow the teachings of Jesus are also asked to stand apart and to bear witness. We are also asked, and I think all traditions of spirituality huh, assumes that if you are going to step into this, you have to see yourself as fundamentally different from the rest of the world. And Jesus said, right? Being of this world, or in this world, but not of this world. And then in Buddhism, why is it that all these sublime beings are sitting on this super gigantic lotuses? <laughs> I don't know if you know it's that comfortable sitting on a lotus flower, <laughs> even if you could find one big enough for you to sit on. It's the symbolism of the lotus. Lotus or water lily, uh, they grow, if you have never seen them growing, uh, they grow uh, in muddy ponds, in dirt ponds, wet and messy. But if you look at their leaves and you look at their blossoms, uh, no mud, no dirt uh, can taint it. Because they have this waxy uh, surface. It just slips off. 
but it's rooted in the mud. If you pull it out of the mud, it's not going. Actually, lotuses don't stay open. If you cut it open and you stick it in water, it goes, <laughs> it closes. So it has to be rooted in mud. It's such a beautiful symbol. You know? But we think, you know, get me out of the mud, get me out of the mud. <laughs> yeah, get you out of the mud, then the lotus closes. It's the mud that causes the lotus to bloom and provide beauty for others to enjoy. But it doesn't get tainted. Whether it's leaves or it's flowers, it's never tainted by the dirt. So be in the world, but not off the world. We need to stand apart from the world. You know, it's important for those of us who have taken refuge and especially generated bodhicitta to say, my life is different now. I think Buddhism, especially in the West, you know, is presented as this very cool religion. (laughs) Very cool, sometimes become cold and freezing. (laughs) We we are missing that kind of born-again experience. (laughs) But it's there. If you read Shantideva's uh, Benefits of Bodhicitta in the first chapter, the language there is really that of, you know, how wonderful that bodhicitta is now in my heart. Then no matter what happens, hallelujah, praise bodhicitta. (laughs) Because I have been saved. It says, you know, the moment bodhicitta, even fleetingly, arises in our hearts, from that day onwards, Uh, We are sons and daughters of the Buddha. We are no longer part of samsara. We might be rooted in samsara, but now we are no longer part of samsara. We have been born in the Buddha's family now. We have bodhicitta in us. And so we do not act and behave like the rest of the world. You know? We do not despair anymore. Whatever the difficulties, we cannot be like the rest of the world. We have to stand apart. Not so that we can look down on, but we we need to stand apart so that we can help we can make a difference so that's really important to get that point so with that kind of kind of with that kind of confidence kind of awaken then when we look at these metaphors of impermanence it's it should not unnerve us. But it should instead remind us in case we get distracted. Even after we have been saved, uh, some of us get distracted from time to time by the old ways. And so here, Milarepa tells Rejumpa, you know, consider these impermanence Consider impermanence through these six uh, illusions. Uh, The first is the illusion of objects appearing outside. Uh, No matter what they are. Uh, Objects does not only mean stuff, yeah? Objects. Uh, More so, it's talking about the experiences that arise uh, when the eye comes into contact with things that are seen when the nose comes into contact with things that are smelled. All all the physical senses, and also when the heart comes into contact with things that are felt. All those, he says, 
All those are objects appearing outside. Meaning outside here doesn't mean like outside of your body outside. Outside here means outside of the essence of mind. So thoughts, feelings, all those are outside already. It's not just stuff outside. Stuff outside is way outside. So here it says, look at all the objects appearing outside. So whatever that you kind of say, I'm experiencing this, I'm experiencing that. So whatever already arises from a bifurcation between subject and object, all those are outside. So your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, all those are outside. He says, but all of those are like last night's dream. When you first see this, when you first understand this, then it makes you uneasy. It makes you uneasy. But if you cut the delusion, if you don't, if you stop believing in delusions, then we don't have a problem. So there is, I've seen a bumper sticker. I don't know if it's Buddhist or not in origins, the inspiration, but it says, don't believe what you think. (laughs) Don't believe what you feel. Of course, you know, we say, you know, certain things, gut level, I know. Yes, maybe that's true. But it's also good advice. Don't believe what you think so quickly. I would add so quickly, so immediately, and don't believe what you feel so quickly and so immediately. And, and often, problems come because we kind of surrender to whatever we feel, whatever we think, whatever we see, whatever we smell, whatever we taste, whatever we touch. We immediately say, oh, yep, this is true, this is right, this is always true, this is always right. Then, of course, nothing is like that. Everything is situationally true. So the Buddha does not deny that in dreams you can have nightmares and you can have, oh, my dream came through. Or nightmares. And the experiences that come respectively, whether you had a nightmare or you had a dream fulfilled. But either case, they are illusory. They are illusory-like. They are dream-like. In other words, don't hold on so tightly. With everything in the world, don't hold on so tightly. Don't clench our fist so tightly. Relaxed. And hold. Hold on, but in a relaxed way. In instructions on Tai Chi, it says, it gives the example, it says, the strongest person has difficulty pulling his finger, or her finger for that matter, away from the grasp of a baby. I say the baby's grasp of a finger right, is very tight, but very relaxed. The baby is not tightening, but it's not so easy to put your, pull your finger out. Now, I don't know scientifically true or not, but experientially you can see how that's true. Maybe because you don't want to yank the baby. <laughs> that's beside the point, right? But, but there's something there, Right? That baby just kind of very relaxed, you know, can have such a firm grip on your finger. But as we grow older and older, we don't trust uh, this secure grip. We eh. And then when we eh. And then something very strong pulls out. Leaves behind a burn. So to regard everything as dreamlike as last night's dream, 
is not to become dissociated with our feelings. It's just don't believe so strongly in feelings. And and how how do we do that? Right? Again, it doesn't mean being half present. Living life by being half there and half gone. Some people think, oh, that's being spiritual. That's just being emotionally unavailable. Or spiritual bypassing and thinking this is spiritual. No, it's being completely present but without grasping. Not easy, of course, but possible. Really possible. Don't run away and don't feed. Be present for it and watch and watch and watch. It says, look inward at your body. Now, just look at your body. It says, it's transitory, like a city of Gandharvas. Gandharva cities are very ephemeral. It says that Gandharva cities are produced when a drop of water is left behind anywhere, potentially. And once that drop of water dries up, the entire city is destroyed. So we think, oh, Gandharvas must be, you know, really kind of poor Gandharvas. But our existence is actually a Gandharva city. In someone else's universe, we are that one drop. (laughs) Yeah? In someone else's universe, we are probably that one drop that dries up within you know, five minutes of that person's universe. I was listening to um, NPR some time back, and uh, it was an interview, I think, with a, with a cosmologist, I think. I think that's what you call them, people who studied the cosmos. So one of, one of the, of course, big questions for cosmologists is, uh, are we the only ones out, out here, or out there, or wherever, right? <laughs> Are we the only ones out here? And so far, it seems like, you know, we don't quite have evidence, right, that there is anybody else. Of course, then many of us also don't like to be so conceited to think that, you know, in the whole vast universe, we are the only ones, right? So then there are some theories according to this interview as to, well, so how do you explain and the one that I remember, I mean, this cosmologist gave a few explanations, but the one I remember is he said that it could be that they exist, others, other than what we know, but we are so, 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 so small in relation to them that we're not even aware that, you know, that they are there. And they're maybe even noticing that we are a speck in the same way, like an ant crawling around actually don't see us. <laughs> you know? And then crushed if we happen to be in their way and finished. So that's the metaphor being used here to call a city of Gandharvas. Update that to you know, modern <laughs> cosmologists, what they're saying. You know, we're just like that. And then more specifically, our body. Yeah? And the body is the basis of us talking about birth and death. But if we so strongly identify with the body, then of course we suffer. Now do we throw away all identification with the body and then, you know, uh, not take care of the body, I don't think we need to go to, the, to that extreme. Although, having said that, Nilareva did go to that extreme. Right? He just completely threw his body into the winds. Uh, 
Now, do you have to do that? Well, you don't have to start there. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> that Milarepa did it because he was strong enough to do it. And if we are not strong enough and we try to do it, then we might regret and then backfire and then we can't handle it. So what I can say is at the very least, it's always beneficial to not let your sense of self be so strongly tied to your body. Because when the body doesn't cooperate, then it's not just the suffering that comes from the body not cooperating, but there's a whole other layer of suffering that takes place. So that it's not just pain as a biological fact, but suffering as an existential problem. Right? There's a pain as a biological fact. Then there is suffering as an existential construct. Good news is, well, bad news is, as long as we have a body, that biological fact will not completely go away. In fact, it will increase <laughs> as this body deteriorates. So that's the bad news. But the good news is, uh, suffering is optional. Because suffering is, as one uh, American Buddhist teacher puts it, suffering is pain multiplied by resistance. Pain multiplied by lack of ability to accept that pain is going on. Then that's suffering. So suffering can be reduced if we reduce resistance to zero. Then there's only pain when it happens as a biological fact. So the way we do it is not to become so identified with the body. Take care of it. Without a healthy body, it's hard to focus on developing a healthy mind. So let's be realistic. Let's not try to attempt Milarepa because most of us haven't found a marpa that we would surrender to. <laughs> if you have found a marpa that you sur ha have surrendered to, then maybe you can attempt milarepa-like feats. <laughs> but the practice actually says, may I become like you. <laughs> so it's saying, may I meet my marpa. <laughs> but actually, how many of us are ready to meet our marpas? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Maybe next lifetime. <laughs> yeah, he's so unreasonable. <laughs> but without Marpa, there's no Milarepa. Of course, without Milarepa, maybe there is no memory of Marpa too. <laughs> Interdependence. The other element in being a non-theistic tradition, it means that we don't believe that anything that happens, happens due to a single cause. That's the Buddhist definition of theistic. We're not talking about other people's belief in God. That's a different system. They have a different internal logic. So we're not concerning ourselves with that. When we say we are a non-theistic tradition, uh, we mean that in theistic traditions, uh, whether they actually exist or not out there, mm, everything uh, comes from a single cause. Uh, we say, no, 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 no. Uh, things arise due to the coming together of 
a number of causes and conditions. So this is important to remember. So that's just a little bit as a kind of refresher of um, the six illusions as metaphors of impermanence. Uh, and this is like the ngondra, the preliminary uh, mind that we need to have before we move on to the other songs. Uh, all these songs exist within context. And this context uh, is the beginning is to really uh, reflect on impermanence, uncertainty, and change and take that to heart. Uh, take that to heart. And when we take that to heart, uh, then it protects us from unnecessary pain, from suffering. That's why we meditate on them. That's why we take them to heart. We don't take them to heart so that we walk around feeling sorry for ourselves and also feeling like, you know, why are you all having such a good time? Don't you know we're all going to die? <laughs> but no, because when we have confronted the fear of death, of change, of uncertainty, then we become what? Fearless. We become fearless. Uh, the Song of Nine Meanings Remember the grandma? <laughs> Page three. So let's read that together. Above are the pleasures of the higher realms, below the miseries of the three lower realms, in between your helplessness to choose your destiny. When these three conditions convene, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You're an angry woman who detests the Dharma. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on the qualified Lama. When you were first betrothed to this family, did you ever dream you'd become an old nanny goat? In the morning, you get up too early. In the evening, you go to bed too late. In between, your housework is endless. When these three conditions convene, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You're now just an unpaid maid. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on a qualified Lama. And perhaps then you won't have to be like this. The patriarch of the family is the most important one. Incomes and earnings are next most longed for. Then sons and nephews are wanted most. When these three convene, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. For yourself, you have no share. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on the qualified Lama. And perhaps then it won't be like this. The thief who gets your things by stealth, the robber who resorts to force, your fighting back turns out to be all in vain. When these three conditions convene, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You are scorched when enemies are encountered. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on a qualified Lama. And perhaps then it won't have to be like this. Gossip about other women and their manners interests you. The affairs of sons and nephews get your attention. And the babble of relatives and widows delights you. When these three conditions convene, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You've turned into an avid listener. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on a qualified Lama. And perhaps then it won't have to be like this. To get up is like yanking a peg out of the ground. With feeble legs, you wobble like a thieving goose. Earth and stone seem to shatter when you drop into a seat. When these three conditions convene, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You have no choice but to obey your senility and weakness. 
Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on a qualified Lama. And perhaps then it won't have to be like this. Wrinkles crease your skin without, your bones stand out sharply from your shrunken flesh. And between, you are turning senile, deaf, blind, and dumb. When these three conditions can mean, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You're now a scowling old crone. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on a qualified Lama. And perhaps then it won't have to be like this. Your food and drink is cold and foul. Your coat is heavy and in rags. And your bed is so rough it tears your skin. When these three conditions can mean, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. You think you are half human and half dog. Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on the Kongfei Lama. And perhaps then it won't have to be like this. An opportune birth and liberation are rarer than stars seen in daytime. They be involved in samsara and designed to the lower realms is more common than your daily aches and pains. At this miserable time, when you're about to leave your body, Grandma, look at the movings in your heart. Can you face death with confidence? Really, you should practice the Dharma by relying on a qualified Lama. When all these conditions convene, when these things come together, then our heart moves and shakes and shatter and quakes, depending on how serious it is. Then we lose our composure. We lose our peace of mind. We become agitated. So he's not saying that this is necessary. All of these, all of these movings, all the shaking, all the quaking, all the shattering, is the result of confused projections. Therefore, we are in samsara. But we're in nirvana when these three, any of these three, even if they convene and they come together, if our heart don't move, don't move, it's not affected, it's protected, then confused projections, as Gampopa says, have been exhausted and dissipated. Then that's nirvana, without going anywhere, without needing to go anywhere else. That's nirvana. Whose characteristic manifests as the end of suffering. Ah. Ah. No, not suffering anymore. Any questions or comments about what we just read? You brought up an image in my mind when you were saying that of um, the Vietnam War when uh-huh. being a Buddhist country and how... Right. Um, they would they would um, build the tunnels and fight in the tunnels and live in, yes. in really rough conditions. Yes. And, and um, I'm not imagining what was going on in their mind in particular. Right. But, but as a Buddhist culture, if yes, it's like, it's like it could seem like that it's not a place, but that you're surrounded by hell. Yes. If they were able to keep their calm in, right. in those moments. Right. And then in the case of Tibetans losing their country, um, they're not saints. 
they can tell you their frustrations for sure if you would listen but as a people they have done really well as refugees and that has something to do with buddhism they are quick to act as i said you know <laughs> they're proud of how tough they are and uh, now even now in eastern tibet it's like the wild wild west <laughs> um, you know people will rob you and stab you uh, without thinking twice but notions of karma is really there bodhicitta is also there yeah so overall the way they have experienced their recent suffering has been pretty uh, inspiring again without kind of um, kind of objectifying them as somehow special themselves they will say if we're special it's because we have dharma <laughs> well to the degree that we have dharma back to my point of you know we should we should really you know say no i'm supposed to be different you know i'm not supposed to you know, kind of get dragged into what everybody else is being dragged into I'm supposed to stand firm and not lose courage. Let's take 10 minutes, stretch your legs, go get a mug of tea or something, and then we will continue uh, with the seven inner and outer arisings. So we will cover that song for the rest of this afternoon. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.